Welcome to Disciple City Church Podcast. My name is Jerry Wagner, founder and lead pastor of Disciple City Church in Dallas, Texas. Thank you so much for tuning in to our podcast. Our desire is to unleash healthy disciple makers in West Dallas to reach the world. God bless you as you listen and consider subscribing so that you can listen to new messages each week. Thank you and have a God-filled day. Welcome to Disciple City Church. If you are new here, we're so glad to have you. Hopefully that song, which is new to the church, was a blessing to you as it was to me. I love hearing Spanish songs. I'm, I'm not fluent in Spanish, but I grew up with Spanish. I'm a native speaker, so I love our tradition here that we sing songs in different languages because we worship God in all of our tongues, all cultures worship the same God. So um, I'm just, yeah, man, that was such a good song, bro. Good pick. Uh, well, like I said, welcome. If you don't know me, uh, my name is Waldo Ramirez. I'm the shepherd of Connect here at Disciple City Church, and all that really means is that they pay me to do things here. Um, so hopefully today I will be able to deliver a, uh, a, a message that makes sense, a message that is uh, challenging and one that actually flows with our series. And so if you've been sticking with us, you know this past week, Jerry started the new sermon series on James. Uh, So this just one week in, and this is the second week, and this sermon series uh, is a really challenging one. It's a really simple one. If if you really think about it, if you've read James in the past, you know that it's a very simple book. It's, It's a very practical book. In fact, Jerry alluded that there's a lot of similarities between the book of James and the Beatitudes, the Sermon on the Mount. The two have very similar beats. And so as you track with us, you'll begin to see some of the things that Jesus said and some of the things that James was affirming in this book and how we ought to live, how our faith must be one that works. And so last week, Jerry went in uh, into this idea that faith is one that is, tr- that is tested, our, our faith will be tested. If you are a Christian, you will be tested by trial. Things will come, right? And so he talked about that. This week, I'd like you to consider if, if, if the sermon series was a sentence, last week's sermon and this week's sermon would be separated by a semicolon. Different ideas, sure. Sentences on their own right, but related, interconnected. So as I talk about this week's, this week's passage, just keep that in mind. The two are really meant to be thought as one whole thought. So let's jump in. Uh, first things first, I want to talk about something that I struggle with all the time, something I find myself in all the time, and that is grocery shopping. Who here shops for groceries? Anybody? Mmm, most of us, because we got to eat, right? Mmm, got to eat, got to eat. There's something that I do every time I, like literally every time I go grocery shopping, and that is not eat before I go. How many of us find yourselves in that situation? You show up to Tom Thumb or Aldi or wherever you go to get, procure your goods, um, and you are hungry, the moment you walk in the door, you see soda on the right, right? Chips. And they do that on purpose, right? They do that on purpose. 
You go into the produce aisle and you see all these delicious fruits that you may not have planned to get. You know, I come into a grocery store and I have all the recipes in mind. I have Google Keep, which is fantastic, by the way. I'm very detailed. So I know the recipes that I'm going to make for the week. I know exactly what I need pinpointed. I'm not one who just gets like, I need to get a protein. I'm like, I'm getting chicken thighs, boneless, all natural. Like, I am, I am detailed. But when I'm hungry, that list, it's like it doesn't even exist anymore, right? I see those delicious honey crisp apples, and I'm like, ooh, I can eat those right now. I see the chicken soup that's being sold over here. I'm just like, ooh, that's hot. I could eat that while I shop. Dang. I go to the bread aisle, and I'm not really supposed to be eating bread, but then I go, mmm, white bread, mmm. I sure do like white bread, I remember. But the one thing, my one weakness, and I feel like every grocery store knows exactly when I'm coming because they have it in prominent display, is Nutella. Huh? Nutella? Anybody else love Nutella? Yeah, that's stretched out, but it's Nutella. <laughs> Nutella. Man, I, I eat that like straight. I don't even put it on bread or anything. I just like put my fingers in there. I just Nutella fingers. I'm just like, ooh, ooh. Yes, I know. It's bad. I get that. I know that now. But in the moment, I'm encaptured, right? The moment I see it, I begin to think about it, and I go, wow, how awesome would it be if I just, like, had a fistful of Nutella on the drive home, right? I'm just like, yeah, Winnie the Pooh, like, mmm. <laughs> you know? And I become tempted to buy things that I don't need, to buy things I never intended to buy, to partake in Nutella, which is, spoiler alert, not good for you. But I want it. I want to gorge on it. And so I buy it. I buy two of them, just in case. How many of you have been in that same situation, right? You're at the grocery store. Maybe it's not Nutella for you. Maybe it's honey. Maybe it's Fruit Loops. I don't know. But you become tempted because your hunger is urging you to get there, to, to want that. Your desire, it overtakes you. And on impulse, you buy something you never intended to buy. Right? You show up, and your wife's like, what is that? Today, we're going to talk about temptation, uh, if you did not already guess. And to tell you the truth, uh, this, this sermon is going to be a little trouble. Like it's it's, it, it's, it's going to poke at times. And so while this was funny, this illustration about the grocery store was funny, right? Nutella. Oftentimes the temptation that we're struggling with in the real world, the temptation that we feel in our lives as Christians, isn't as simple as Nutella. Sometimes it's more dire. Sometimes it affects your health. Sometimes it affects your spiritual growth. Sometimes it affects your, fan, your friends and your family. Temptation is a real deal. It happens to everyone. If you're a human being in this room, you have and will struggle with temptation. It's inevitable. And the reason why I said that it's tied to last week is because oftentimes trials and temptation come hand in hand. When the hard times come to you, whether it's 
a divorce in the family, or a death, or maybe you lost your job, or maybe someone hit your car, and now your neck hurts, right? Regardless of what the trial is, oftentimes what comes right after is the temptation. That's what we're going to talk about today. We're going to talk about what is temptation, how do we fight against it, and how can God transform us in the midst of it. So, today we're going to be in James 1, 13 through 18. So if you have your Bibles, take it out. If you don't have a Bible, don't own one. There's one under the seat that you can take home with you. So go ahead and grab that. Uh, turn with me to James 1, 13 through 18. I'm going to be referencing this on occasion throughout the sermon, so just keep your thumb there. Um, but we're going to actually just jump right in to this sermon. Uh, I want to define today temptation. Before we jump into what James says about it, I really want to look at the word and figure out what it means. What is temptation in its defined form? Uh, so temptation defined by the Oxford Dictionary. I literally just put it in the Google. Uh, the desire to do something, especially something wrong or unwise. Now, Oxford is not created by Christians, but even they will say that temptation in its in its word form, is negative. It's a bad thing. It's not necessarily a good thing. Now, they will say, especially something wrong or unwise, so there's, there's some wiggle room, but for the most part, the world will agree that temptation is something that draws you towards something that is not good, that is unwise, right? Think Nutella. So, that's the Oxford Dictionary. Now, when we look at the Greek we see this word, pyrazo. You don't, need, you don't need to be able to read it. You actually don't even need to memorize it. I'm just going to tell you how it's used in the Bible. It's used in really particularly two ways. One, it's used in the context of testing, in the context of sharpening, in the context of, of challenging. And the other is used in the context of tempting. Now, there's a difference between those two things. So when you see the word, you have to decipher which word you're going to use to translate into English, right? Whether it be test or tempt. The two differences, and I'm, I'm going to explain them. The first one is, who is doing the testing and the tempting? Who is doing the testing and the tempting? And so the, the people who translated this word will make that decision based on who it is that's doing the pyrazoing, if that makes any sense. The next thing is one is for sharpening and testing. The other is for luring, for drawing. So while one has to do with a challenge towards one, right, whether it's negative or positive, the other is always in the negative because it's always drawing someone to something else. When you read in James, that is why it's translated to tempt. Because the one who is tempting is not for you, and the one who is tempting is trying to lure you away. Does that make sense? So when we read the scripture, when you read James, think through that, right? While the word could mean test, it definitely does not based on the context. 
So let's jump in. Let's jump in right away. James 1, 13. Let me read it for you. Let no one say when he is tempted. I am being tempted by God. Now I'm going to I'm going to read that again so that we can get the emphasis on what I'm going with here. Let no one say when he is tempted, I'm being tempted by God. Now, what I want to do right now is kind of outline some truths about temptation. So I just defined it. Now, based on James, here's some truths that I was able to see, to draw out, that God is really kind of putting and burdening in my heart. And so the first truth about temptation is that it is inevitable. Let no one say when he is tempted, not if, when you are tempted. We kind of know that, right? Temptation is inevitable. But in the context of the passage, it's even more inevitable than you think, right? He had just started talking about trials and how trials will come and that your faith will be tested by these trials, that we may produce steadfastness if you endure. So it's inevitable that you will be facing trial. That's that's going to happen. Even if you aren't a Christian, you're going to experience something in your life that's going to go wrong. Happened this morning. Happened this morning. Jonathan Ward, where are you, buddy? Yeah, boy. We were looking for those giving baskets. We were looking for those giving baskets. The normal ones are nice and brown and they all look the same. But then we we're like, we can't find them. So we passed around these little tiny ones. I don't know if you noticed. I noticed because it was pointed out to me. But I'm sure Jonathan back there was just like, man, if I can't find these baskets, just feeling this sense of temptation to just run away, just be like, I give up on this church. <laughs> they, can't, they can't have matching baskets. As simple as that, right? This trial, this tiny little thing, we couldn't find them. Or down the, down the road, I mean, down the, the road, down the hallway, the label printer won't work, Right? This is just today. This is just this morning. So we have to do it by hand. And that takes time. That's really frustrating if you've ever been back there. It's, it's a trial. Trials are inevitable. Or it could be something big. Last week, Jaws broke his leg in like three places. Trials are inevitable. And because trials are inevitable, temptation is too. When trials come, a temptation of your faith will follow. It will follow. That's what James is trying to show here. When these trials come and your faith is tested, beware because temptation may come to call, to call you away, to lure you away. So be mindful. It's a simple truth, one that you might pass over by just reading it really quickly, but one that we need to be mindful of, right? A truth about temptation, that it is inevitable. It's going to come. You cannot avoid it. So it's best to be prepared for it. The next truth about temptation is that it's not from the Lord. Let's read James 1, 13 through 14. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil. For, and he himself tempts no one, but each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Uh, Thomas Constable, he's a, he's a guy who has written a free commentary online said this about this topic. There is nothing in God that responds positively to sin, but there is much in us that does. Much in us that does. I love that quote. Temptation 
is made manifest out of our own desire, not of God. But what's the first thing we say when something bad goes wrong? What's the first thing we say in our minds when temptation comes your way? Why, God? Why would you do this to me? The Lord is testing my faith. The Lord is testing me with this temptation. I walk into the grocery store and I go, Lord, why? Nutella. Right? I blame, I, I take this blame and I put it upon the Lord. But the truth is that the Lord does not deal in temptation. Right? Because he cannot sin. When we think back to the temptation of Jesus in Matthew, you kind of get this picture that he's being tempted, right? That's what the subtitle would allude to. But really, it was just a poor attempt because he was never going to turn to begin with. Satan was trying to tempt him. He was telling him, hey, turn this rock into bread. I know you're hungry. Eat this bread. Eat, make this in the rock and eat it. He said, no. He said, I'll give you everything in the world if you just bow to me now. And he said, no. He was never going to turn. It was never tempting to him because he could not sin, right? So God does not deal in temptation because sin is not an option for him. So why would he tempt you if that's not what he's about? The truth is, if we're honest with ourselves, that it's the inner desire of your heart that is tempting you. It's the voice inside your head that's telling you, to go towards that sin. It's that voice inside your head that's telling you to go look at those pictures online. It's the voice inside your head that's telling you to sin against your Lord. That's the truth we need to come to grips with today. That it's not coming from this outside source like God. It's coming from within. It's you. It's your own desire that's made manifest in this thing that's tempting you away. So we can deflect blame if we want to God, but know that God does not deal in temptation. That's you. The next truth about temptation we see from the scriptures is found in James 15, James 1.15. Temptation leads to sin, which leads to death. So then desire, when it has conceived, gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Okay, so this is one that we kind of have to think about. So temptation leads to sin, which leads to death, is a fairly simple idea, right? You get to see the progression there. But there's something in this passage and in this point that I really want to draw out, and that's this. Temptation in and of itself is not sin. Can we, can we vibe with that? Can we vibe that? It is not sin. And let me explain um, with an illustration. You guys have heard of a Venus flytrap, right? Venus flytrap, this is a pretty cool plant. It's a carnivorous plant. Is there a picture? Perfect. Um, it's a carnivorous plant that eats insects. And the way that it lures insects into it, and I'm just going to read, I got this out of the internet, to attract flies to other prey, or, to, or other prey, the Venus flytrap secretes nectar onto its open traps. Insects smell the sweet nectar, and once they land on the leaves, they trip the trigger hairs on the outside of the traps. This causes the cells in the leaves to expand. In less than a second, the leaves shut. First off, science is cool. Second off, where do you think 
the fly, in the example, let's say it's a fly, where do you think the fly went wrong? Where do you think the fly sinned? This is when he landed in the fly trap, right? It was when he smelled the nectar, right? No. It was when he made a decision to go towards it. But when he smelled it, that's temptation. That's temptation. This nectar, the pheromones, are out in the air. That smell is out in the air. The flies pick it up and receive it, right? And the moment they, the little fly brain, which we'd have no idea how complex it is, um, little fly brain picks up those signals, picks up that smell, and makes a decision. Go towards it or away from it. The sin happens when the fly goes towards it. Is that not how we operate, right? When temptation comes, let's say it's whatever you're struggling with. I know for me in college, it was hard for me to not think about how pretty everybody was, right? I'll be honest. It was really hard. It was really hard. There were a lot of people who were just gorgeous. And there was a span of eight months, a really hard span of eight months, in which I wasn't dating Michelle, my wife, my wife, um, and, and it was really hard to, to not lust after women, to not go, wow, what if? Wow, what about that? Whoa, let my eyes linger here. It was really hard. And I used to talk to the guys, and they would always say, like, hey, it's not a sin to think that a woman is beautiful. When it becomes sin is when she becomes an object for your sin when she becomes an object for your lust. That is when sin enters into your heart. And so for us, as we think about the relationship between temptation and sin, it's the intent to go towards it. Right? The intent to actually grab. When Eve sinned, it wasn't, it wasn't because when she ate it, it's when she reached out to grab it. That is sin. And so us recognizing and having grace with ourselves, right? Temptation will come. But if we're to believe the scriptures, we understand that temptation is not sin, but it does lead there. It is the next step. And so you see the progression. Temptation leads to sin, and sin leads to death. Again, Venus flytrap, right? Fly makes a decision, go towards the thing that smells good. Fly lands, triggers the hairs, because it's eating the nectar. It's in the midst of its wrongdoing. And the consequence is death, is ensnared and literally liquefied inside of a flower. Temptation is the same thing for us. It's a fragrant smell. And we each struggle with different things. We each struggle with different temptations, but the outcome is always the same. The outcome is always the same. And the direction of this temptation will always lead you to sin and death. Always. This is the relationship that temptation has with sin and death. It will always lead to the other. The last truth that I want to share is that temptation is evidence of deception. James 1, 16. This is really short. Do not be deceived, my beloved brothers. Now, 
It's really short. Uh, what do you mean, Waldo? How is temptation evidence of deception? Well, who here has seen uh, Inception? You've seen Inception? It's kind of hard to understand, so if you haven't seen Inception, just kind of roll with it. Um, there's a very key integral part of the story of Inception where uh, the main character and his wife are stuck in a dream. They're stuck in this dream and they can't get out. They're stuck in this dream together. And in order to get his wife to agree to come out of this dream, to wake up, he implants a lie in her mind. He, he plants a thought, really. It's not necessarily a lie, but it's a thought. And the thought is simple. You are in a dream. And the way that he proves this is by spinning a top and putting in her mind space. I don't know. Uh, but this top in the dream world does not fall. It continues to spin forever and ever and ever and ever, right? Continues to spin. The problem is when she woke up, she continued to believe this lie, this thought. So even though she was awake, her mind continued to poison her into thinking her reality was true. Her reality was false. Her reality was a dream. Her kids were just a manifest of her memories, right? And so slowly but surely, her mind began to deteriorate, and she killed herself. That's a really key part of Inception. Apologies for spoiling it for you. But this deception that I'm talking about in this point, temptation is evidence of deception, there is a deep lie within each and every one of you, a lie that in, when believed in part, even in part, adds fire to temptation, much like this top, much like this top. Because when she first woke up, she didn't really believe it all the way. But like a cancer, it spread in her mind. And it does the same thing to us. And this lie is simple. It's super simple. And it can be traced to the beginning, to the garden. It's really simple, but incredibly profound. You want to know what that lie is? God is not good. God is not good, right? Because if he was good, he'd give you what you want. Because if he was good, he wouldn't put this trial in your heart. If he was good, Jaws' leg wouldn't get broken three times. If he was good, my thyroid would work. If he was good, I'd have a job today. Right? Whether you may not believe the, the statement as a whole, that little kernel of lie has been implanted in you, and you've begun to believe it. And that adds fire to the fuel that leads you to death. It is at the root of all of the temptation we feel. The temptation that brings us away from the Lord. We begin to believe a lie that was whispered into our ears by the enemy. That God does not have the best interest in, for you. That he's not good. That he doesn't want the good things for you. That he's keeping things from you. That he's causing you to hurt. Causing you to sin. Right? He is causing you to do these things that you know are wrong. He is keeping from you the things that are good. This little lie is the origin of all of it. Of all of it. Because when you think back to 
to Genesis 3, you think back to the story of the fall, you remember that it was the serpent who started the questioning, right? And you can boil his statement to a very simple question. Is God good? Does he have your best interest in heart? And it was in that moment that she reached for the apple because she believed. She believed the lie as opposed to what is true. And so maybe you're here today and you're in the midst of a trial. You're in the midst of all that's going on in life. And you're being tempted to believe this. That God isn't good. That God is not good. Maybe you're not all the way in. Maybe it's just a little kernel. But that's all it takes. That's all it takes to push us. That's all he's banking on. The enemy. That you just take a little bit. So that the sweet fragrance can become more sweet. So that it become more luring. And so the loudest voices in your head are the ones screaming for you to partake in the thing that's tempting you. And it becomes hard. And that's the cycle of sin. Right? When I'm at my most sinful, I believe this lie. Even if I can't admit it to myself, I believe it. And when I'm at my most sinful, I succumb to temptation most often because I am not girding myself with the truth. What is the truth? What do we do in the face of temptation when trials come? What do we do when we're being lured away from God? Well, James makes it fairly simple. We combat the lie with truth and we expose temptation and deception in the light. Ultimately, what we are called to do is to strengthen our faith against temptation by clinging to the truth. If the enemy is the lie, then the only solution is truth. Let's look at the scriptures. James 1, 17 through 18. James 1, 17 through 18. Let's read. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. Of his own will, he brought us forth by the word of truth, that we should be a kind of first fruits of his creatures. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. Every good gift and every perfect gift is from above. The Net Bible, I think, does a really great job of rewording that first statement. They say instead, all generous giving and every perfect gift, all good things, all good things are from God. If the lie that we're beginning to believe when we're tempted is that God is not good, what James is doing here is reminding you of the simple truth. Again, simple yet profound. Our God is good. Our God is good. Everything you've attributed to him in your temptation is false. It's a lie. This is true. This is true. All good things from the muffin that you had this morning to the financial gift you may have gotten from your parents 
from all the Christmas gifts that you got, from the health that you experienced today, to the breath in my lungs as I talk to you now. All good things, all gifts from God. God is good. God is good. You want, you want some more thoughts? All right, every good thing comes from him, like I said. But the thing that, the, another thing that the passage really talks about is that God will never change. Sometimes we're led to believe that God has maybe changed his mind about you, about blessing you, about taking care of you, right? The problem is that doesn't line up with the passage, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. He's never going to change. He's always going to be the same. He's always going to love you. He's always going to be for your benefit because he's always good. Next, you see this idea of his own will. He brought us forth by the word of truth that we should be a kind of first fruit of his creatures. Now, that's kind of like a word jumble. Let me, define, let me, let me just give you a better translation. Not a better. A more English translation, maybe. I don't know. God saved you from sin and death. God saved you. The greatest gift that he can give to you is that he died on the cross and rose again three days later so that you may experience life. Because before, you were doomed to that sin cycle that I talked about. But now, you have power. Now, you can experience life because of what he did on your behalf. That is is the God that we serve. That is the God we worship. This God is good. This God is very good. This God is better than anything we can run to, than anything that you can be tempted towards. This God is good. And so perhaps today you're believing this lie. You're believing a bit of a lie that God is not for you. Maybe you're in the midst of some really troubling situation. Maybe you're, you're stuck in the cycle of sin and temptation. Know that God is for you and that God is good. That you do not have to believe a lie and that there is victory through the person of Jesus Christ. The next thing I would say is you expose temptation and deception in the light. 1 John 1, 5-7, you don't have to flip there. I'm going to read it for us. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. James 1.17 talks about God being the father of lights, the father of lights. And it's this idea that all good things can be found in God, that he is the one who exposes all. He is the one who brings true light to us. And so as I think about even my own sin and my own cycle of temptation, I think through this passage and how the call for me is not to be tempted alone, but to expose my temptation, my sin, to the light. If God is the light, then I let him help me, right? You think about the Lord's 
the Lord's Prayer, um, in Matthew 6.13, he says, Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Jesus is teaching us how to pray in the midst of temptation. He's teaching us to go to him, to go to the light, to expose the sin, to expose the temptation that has taken you captive so that he can help you. Because when we're honest, the things that we're tempted for, when we get to see them, when we get to talk about them, they kind of become gross, right? I even think about the Nutella example that I just had. I just think, I, I literally just confess to you that I put my hands in a jar. <laughs> and I think about it up on stage and I go, am I an animal? What's wrong with me? Simple things, right? Exposing things in the light can have a drastic effect on how alluring it can be. If only the fly could see beyond the nectar, right? So, what am I calling us to? Two things, really, and they're really simple. Again, these, these sermons are going to be simple. Application. Number one is memorize the truth. One of the persons I um, admire the most, one of my spiritual heroes today is Miss Annie. Miss Annie. Um, every time, every time I, uh, this has nothing to do with sermon, I guess. Uh, every time I preach, she always finds me before my sermon and prays for me, even if it's only for 10 seconds. And that is an incredible encouragement to me. So Miss Annie, if any of this made sense, it's because you're awesome. Um, but one of the things that Miss Annie does, and if you've never heard her, like, yeah, it's awesome, is she recites scripture from memory. She recites scripture from memory. Long, not, not just like little tiny passages like pray continuously, First Thessalonians, right? Like that's not it. That's not it. I mean, she does say that one a lot, but she, she, she recites entire chapters, entire chapters of the Bible on a whim. Miss Annie, did you have any notice that you had to do that at the New Year's service? Someone just told you, hey, come up here and speak in front of some strangers and recite. What did you recite? Isaiah 40. This, anybody in the room, you want to come up? <laughs> Isaiah 40? She knows the scriptures. She knows the truth. The truth about God. What the scriptures say about God. You want to equip yourself to fight temptation when it comes, you want to prepare well when the inevitable comes your way, write the truth on your heart. One really cool, really brief thing that I remember a good college friend doing is he would journal all of his sin, all of his temptation, all the things, all the lies he was believing. He would journal not only to expose it to the light, right? Like if he can really read it, he goes, wow, this is disgusting. This is awful. What's wrong with me? But he would, what we would do once he's written it all out is he would take a red pen and he would write God's truth around all of it. All of it. Because he did not want to forget the truth. You want to combat sin, you memorize the truth. I'm bad at it, guys. I forget things immediately. But that doesn't mean that I stop. We endure. 
because it's worth preparing for. And the second thing we do is we expose the lie. Not only to God, right? We talked about exposing it to the light, to the light, the God of lights, but we expose it to those who are going to be fighting on our behalf. They're the ones sitting right next to you. They're the family. That's what we're here for, right? We're here to do community with one another. When we're struggling, we're here to pray for one another. We're here to fight for one another. We're here to spur each other on towards maturity. And if that's the case, you are holding yourself back if you are keeping your sin to yourself. You're holding yourself back if you allow yourself to be tempted alone. You are not meant to do it alone. You're meant to do it in community. So expose it. There's life groups, and in those life groups, there's huddles. There's plenty of opportunities. There's us in the back. We want to help you, but it requires some vulnerability, and vulnerability is hard because some of the things that we're struggling with aren't fun. Some of the things that we're tempted with aren't PC. Some of the things that we're tempted with aren't great in front of mixed company. Let's be real, right? But if you allow yourself to stay there alone, you become more and more susceptible to that cycle. And all you will do is continue to go back to the trap. So we have friends with us. We have family who will struggle with us, who will know our temptation. So in the moment that Venus flytrap does come around, they can at least tell you, hey, what about that flower over there? That's pretty nice. That's much better. Memorize the truth. Expose the lie. So as the band comes back up, let's review what we talked about today. Temptation will come, and it will be enticing. It will be enticing. Let's not beat around the bush. The things that I am tempted by, they're very alluring in the moment. So we must make ourselves ready at all times. Our call is to strengthen our faith against temptation by clinging to the truth. If this lie is the one that we believe, then the truth is the only thing that can combat it. We run back to the Word. We run back to the Lord. We run back to Jesus. And we cling to our brothers and sisters. And so, a bit of practical advice when it comes to my opening image about the grocery store is to eat before you go shopping. I'll try to remember that. <laughs> but you know what? Something else I try to do nowadays is bring a friend. I bring my wife. She does a much better job of making sure that I don't go crazy ham and buy five Nutellas. And it's funny how I think about this and how silly it is, and I go, this is exactly the kind of application that we need. The practical advice for us in applying this truth and applying what we've learned from the passage is that you must be entrenched in the word of truth because it's in the word of truth that the lies have no power. God is good, is he not? God is good. Can I hear an amen? amen. Can we say it together? One, two, three. 
God is good. Not only is he, not only is he good, he is very good, right? He's the goodest. I know that's not good English. He is so good. And I take that truth with me. And I bring my friends with me into my temptation so that the loudest voices in the room aren't my desires. It isn't the enemy, but it's the truth of the Lord and the chorus of our brothers and sisters singing, God is good with me. So as we think about this message, we, we do a little thing called contemplation where we think about just all the things that we've learned and we ask ourselves these three questions. What is God calling you to start? What is God calling you to stop? And what is God calling you to believe? What is God calling you to start doing today? What is God calling you to stop? And what is God calling you to believe? Let's pray. Thank you again for listening to Disciple City Church Podcast. Until we meet again, Shalom. Shalom.